Right, what is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Cody Moxley. Cody, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, dude. So you were on the show, I believe, about a year ago. But for the listeners that might not have heard your first episode, will you just give us a quick background on who you are and what you're up to? Yeah. Um, so I'm one of the guys who runs uh, N1 Education and N1 Training along with uh, Coach Kasim and Coach Adam. Uh, we focus on fitness education courses for uh, personal trainers, as well as our, you know, kind of expanding uh, proper education around exercise selection, basic nutrition, that kind of stuff for everyone else. Um, so we do everything from lab experiments to seminars, um, online courses, all that kind of stuff. Okay. I have to say, I think in one is like the most common resource that comes up on the podcast within like the last year for sure with like guests, like if I ask who they're learning from or like anytime anyone who asks who we're learning from, because you guys seem to have, you guys have such a, your approach makes so much sense, but it's also so much different than I think what anyone else in the industry is taking. Um, and the main reason I want to have you on is to really dig into your approach to training because you guys seem to do things a little bit differently than anyone I had ever seen like do things for hypertrophy before. So um, one thing that you guys have is all these different phases to training rather than like, hey, we're just going to do sets of eight to 15 reps, <laughs> two to three minutes rest until we die. Like it seems like going through your course, you guys have all these different phases of training. So first and foremost, can you define for us, like, what do you mean by a phase of training? Yeah. So when we say phase, we're basically just talking about categories of types of training. Um, so we kind of group them into three main categories. Um, we call them, you know, metabolic hypertrophy and neurological or, you know, strength. Um, the important thing to realize with those is it's not necessarily three distinct, completely different things. They're almost on like a continuum, if that makes sense. There's a little bit of overlap um, in between, you know, hypertrophy and metabolic. You can train kind of in between there or between hypertrophy and neurological. So it's important to realize that it's more of a, a spectrum of where your training uh, can be designed for rather than like, oh, I'm doing hypertrophy. It's this one thing. It, it covers a spectrum of what we call stimuli. Okay. Okay. And a little bit off topic, but initially, like for you personally, when did you start training like this? Uh, probably, I want to say like 2016 was when Coach Kasim kind of started introducing me to these concepts of different types of training, how they work, you know, how, tr how the program design differs to create different effects or adaptations um, mm -hmm. was really when I first was exposed to it. Okay. So was that for you kind of like a, okay, I feel like what I'm doing hasn't necessarily been working and like, wow, now that I see this change, like I have seen an uptick in results or like, what was that transition like for you? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so like a lot of people, it's like when I first started training, pretty much everything worked to some degree. Right. right? And then of course it kind of starts, it starts to taper down and you're like, I wonder you know, what's going on? There has to be a solution to this. Um, and then once I started understanding that there was uh, a bit of a learning curve to understanding how to actually program and train appropriately, um, the periodization aspect is a huge thing, which we can talk a little bit about later. Um, but once I started really dialing it in, I noticed the, the progress I was able to see was much more consistent rather than like, oh, I trained for a bit. I plateau for like three or four months. I don't, I, do something different. And then, Oh, now I start seeing progress again. It's like, I can actually 
control or predict where those progressions and when they occur, what's improving. So yeah, it's uh, definitely a very valuable thing to understand or at least apply. Okay. Okay. I love it. So as you said, you guys have three primary phases that you categorize categorize everything in. There's metabolic, hypertrophy, and then strength slash neurological, correct? Mm -hmm. Cool. So let's dig into the metabolic phase first. Can you just give us a high level overview of what this even is? Yeah. So when we talk about metabolic training, the types, it's more specific to the type of adaptations we're looking for um, Mm -hmm. is what those phases mean. Uh, So for metabolic, obviously, we're looking for metabolic type of adaptations, which can be anything from what we consider more of like systemic things to which would include cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory adaptations, what people commonly associate with like their conditioning or like stamina um, to things such as, uh, you know, local conditioning, which is more of like, oh, I can like I can push through the burn a little bit further. I can get a couple extra reps um, and that more gets, you know, into the biology side of things. It's like, oh, it's a mitochondrial adaptation. We're better at producing energy. We're better at clearing waste products from the muscle tissue. You know, that burn, that the lactate and stuff you build up, your body's more efficient at clearing it. Um, you know, we can even see things like your liver gets more efficient at handling the volume of that metabolic uh, waste. So like converting that lactate back into glucose and stuff. So um, you can see a lot of improvements Um in, like I said, the conditioning aspect of things, and that can also improve your ability and rate of recovery uh, later on down the road, right? Your body is able to better handle that metabolic stress. You can recover faster from it, which of course can help uh, either, you know, maybe you don't need as much rest between sets to get back to full power, if you want to put it that way, um, or even recovery between workouts can be a little bit faster. Okay. So in a nutshell, this is basically to improve recovery ability. Would you say that's accurate? I would say that's probably one of the main benefits. Uh, so the two main benefits you get from a, you know, metabolic, one of the metabolic type of stimuli is going to be, you know, fast recovery um, or better performance, uh, depending on what your training is the rest of the time. Okay. Okay. So when we're going into a metabolic phase and I know there's like different stimuli you aim for, but just in general, like what are a couple of the boxes that we want to tick as far as programming? Like, is it typically like, Hey, we're going to be doing higher reps. Maybe we're going to do more supersets, maybe shorter rest periods. Can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. So there's a lot of ways you can do it depending on which, and this is where we talk about stimuli, right? So there's different stimuli that we program for within a phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, a very common one we talk about is systemic training. Uh, which is kind of what people associate with like circuit training, multiple body parts, supersets all together. Um, And that's going to be a little more challenging, obviously, cardiovascularly, for example. Um, So in that case, you're you're trying to actually tax your cardiovascular system, your cardiorespiratory system. So we're training, you know, larger volumes of tissue simultaneously or like back to back rather than doing, you know, supersets for biceps isn't going to be very systemic. But if you pair, you know, a squat and a pull down, that's going to be a lot more challenging um, for that type of training. Whereas if we go towards the more what we could call the like the local metabolic type of training, that's where you're looking at like supersets or drop sets for the same muscle group, for example. Um, so you may have, you know, slightly higher reps, obviously, than neurological training, your rest periods are obviously going to be much shorter, um, because you're trying to tax um, you know, the, the energy systems more so than just absolute, you know, nervous system, for example. Okay. Okay. So if I'm understanding this correctly, it sounds like 
within a metabolic phase, we're probably either primarily chasing like, hey, this client that's coming in, they're conditioning is pretty garbage which is probably pretty common mm-hmm. um and we need to bring that up in order to better be able to push for hypertrophy later or if i'm correct sometimes it's almost like we're chasing metabolic stress and, and potentially chasing a bit more of a pump is that accurate or no yeah i mean both of those are generally correct um it just again depends on like what their goal is overall so like you said with the hypertrophy stuff it's like okay we want to put on muscle but I have you do a set of eight and you're huffing and puffing for two minutes. It's like, all right, maybe we should work on your work on your, you know, cardiovascular strength, your conditioning, your ability to handle that amount of work, uh, you know, energies wise before we can actually get in the amount of work we need to push hypertrophy further. So yeah, that's when we talk about like potentiation, right? So we find that weak link. We train specifically for that you've adapted. Now it's no longer the limiting factor for you to do this type of training that more closely aligns with your goal. Okay. So would you consider this, and this is probably an, it depends and there's not like a black and white answer, but would you really consider this like hypertrophy style of training or is it more, again, we're going to potentiate later hypertrophy by putting you in a better position? Uh, so, I mean, we'll do, I'll use metabolic for both. That's uh, we just kind of put it in where it's needed essentially. Uh, so for example, if you had a hypertrophy person, yes, you might use it for potentiating better performance and recovery in a more hypertrophy based stimulus type of program. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you had a fat loss person, maybe what we're going for is like, I want frequency of tissue stimulation. Generally, when we program metabolic stuff correctly, you can train it more frequently on a per muscle basis than you can, uh, like a heavy hypertrophy program or a neurological type program. So for those people, the frequency of training is the main benefit. So that's why we might go for the metabolic stuff. And then, you know, maybe we, we deload by taking them over to a hypertrophy program, feeding, bringing up their calories a little bit, whatever. It just depends how we need to, you know, manipulate stuff for that person. Okay. Okay. So what are the signs you're typically looking for? And again, this probably has varied answers, but what are typically the signs you're looking for with someone to, okay we probably need to push you into a metabolic phase. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that gets a little more complex um, and stuff that we kind of cover in our, our third course, actually, like we don't get really into that stuff until we've already covered the other two courses uh, on program design and mechanics. Um, but generally speaking, uh, like we mentioned earlier, it's like, you're looking at, okay, we're doing, you know, straight sets of eight to 10, you have whatever 90 seconds rest. It shouldn't be that metabolically demanding, but like I said, you're still out of breath coming back to that exercise when it, it really shouldn't be based on, you know, the variables that we're, we were using. So we're kind of, we have to have a, uh, like almost a predetermined uh, metric or baseline that we're expecting from that person based on what we're giving them. Right. Like, all right, we're falling short of that. And it's because of, you know, you're out of breath or, uh, you know, you just drop off super fast on that third set or whatever. It's like, okay maybe we don't have the local or systemic conditioning yet to handle this. So we can either back down the current program to a more manageable level, or we can spend some time over here, boost up those adaptations to be able to handle this program and then come back and hit it hard and get those adaptations that we want. Okay. I love it. And that more or less answers like, Hey, when we want to leave this phase as well. So when you're programming it again, for someone that if it is, Hey, you're conditioning, like, the fact that you're gassed after doing a set of eight, we need to bring that up. 
for that person is that programming this is a, this almost exclusively going to be okay we're doing like a superset of like you said squats and like maybe a lat pull down or are we going to work in some conventional cardio there typically as well yeah so sometimes we will use conventional cardio more so if they're not yet able to get the output uh, in the actual resistance training program itself so this might happen with uh, like a very new client some with a young training age Right. who maybe they're limited by coordination in certain movements, uh, like a squat or a press, and their execution breaks down before the muscle actually becomes the limiting factor. Okay. So in that case, I mean, and we could do hours on cardio applications alone, um, but if they're not able to get the output we want for the stimulus we want for cardio purposes, then maybe we add in some steady state. It's like, all right, anybody can walk on a treadmill. Anybody can do the stair stepper. And it's just enough to give or to stimulate that adaptation cardiovascularly that we want while we work on maybe execution. And then as their execution gets better, okay, now maybe we can push them further in the program and we maybe don't need the cardio outside to get the cardiovascular adaptations that we want, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Cool. So then how do we support this metabolic phase nutritionally? What are some main things we want to look at there? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing um, and probably the number one mistake when doing metabolic work is not having enough carbohydrates, right? So um, it's, it's metabolically demanding. We're burning through a lot of fuel. That fuel is ATP, but, you know, the fastest sources of fuel you have are basically going to be muscle glycogen will be kind of the first one other than, you know, creatine stores and stuff. Um, and in order to have full glycogen stores, we need to be eating an adamate, uh, an adequate amount of carbohydrates, right? Um, so yeah, probably the biggest mistake is trying to do like low carb, no carb, and then doing supersets, drop sets, all kinds of crazy intensifiers and everything. Um, and that's where we see people run into one, your performance is going to suck. Your recovery is going to be terrible. And you might actually almost start see yourself. If you're in a, trying to go for fat loss, you might actually see yourself gain weight, look puffier, look quote unquote, fatter, more watery, because you're basically creating, um, well, oxidative stress, and that is going to make you retain water, be more inflamed. Um, so that's what we're trying to avoid, right? So carbs are definitely not the enemy um, in, uh, in a metabolic phase. It, of course, has to be, you know, you have to look at your total calories and stuff if you're going for fat loss. But yeah, cutting out carbs is kind of a big no-no. Um, granted, depending on what type of metabolic training we're doing, some are going to require relatively more, relatively less uh, minimum carbohydrate levels. Um, and that's something we get into more uh, in our nutrition and program design course. Okay. Okay. So as you said, like this is often something to use in a fat loss phase. And sometimes let's say we have a very small woman who has a sedentary like desk job. She might just not be able to eat that many carbohydrates. And it sounds like is there typically kind of a minimal threshold where, okay, we probably, despite you chasing fat loss and maybe you need this, but we don't want to push you into this phase because of how low carbs are, or would it be, Hey, let's bring carbs up. Let's get these adaptations. And then you'll be in a better position for fat loss later. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. So, I mean, it depends on like what the person is coming in. So if like, if we have this, you know, sedentary person and they're, this is a new exposure to training for them, they may actually be able to eat more carbohydrates than they were previously because they have the stimulus from the workout that's actually making their muscles more receptive to taking up and storing carbohydrates as glycogen, which they can then use 
for fuel rather than be you know just storing for fat it'll be stored as glycogen in the muscle tissue right um, so that can actually be a good thing um and we'll actually see people like um, who have been doing the low carb trying to beat themselves on the ground we refeed them with carbs give them uh you know like a very uh low volume metabolic program and they actually you know start to see weight drop again they they look leaner they you know look they look better even though they're eating more than they were and it's there's a lot of things that go into why that happens fluid shift and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, if the first thing you do is just kind of get a relative, relatively correct, the amount of carbohydrates and calories and things you need with the type of training you're doing, that's like 75% of all your work is done. Okay. Okay. So is there, and again, I know this is going to be an independent answer. Um, as general as you can, is there like in a, like kind of a threshold, like, Hey, we probably want to get like, let's say at least one gram of carbs per pound of body weight. Or is that again, just too variable to, to give an answer to? Uh, I mean, I could give you some very general, uh, stuff, but again, it, it's going to depend on the person, uh, how much muscle tissue they have, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, maybe on the low end for certain types of metabolic training, you could go down to like on average one gram per pound of lean body mass, maybe. Um, whereas if you get to the other end of certain types of training stimulus for that same person, the minimum might be like 1.6, right? It just, it depends on how, how glycogen demanding that type of training really is. Okay. Okay. Perfect. That makes complete sense. So from there, I think we covered the metabolic phase pretty well. Let's dig into hypertrophy. So first, can you give us again, just a high level overview of what the hypertrophy phase is and kind of what we're chasing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing, uh, with hypertrophy, hypertrophy is not the stimulus, right? So hypertrophy is the result. Um, so when we talk about hypertrophy training, there's a lot of different ways we can program that will result in a hypertrophic response or adding new muscle tissue or muscle mass. Mm -hmm. Um, so pretty much our main goal when you do a hypertrophy phase is gains, right? (laughs) Give me more muscle. That's, that's the goal. Um, so we're looking at trying to maximize, um, the amount of mechanical tension in the muscle tissue. Um, and so that is what we, we talk talk about in the course is called mechanotransduction, which is a big fancy word that just means the amount of tension through the individual muscle fibers or sarcomeres. Um, so that is the main thing we're going for in a hypertrophy phase. And again, there's a lot of different ways we can program to achieve that. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So how do we typically support this nutritionally? Uh, well, first thing, if you want to grow, you're going to need to be in an energy surplus. So we got to make sure you have enough calories. Um, second thing is going to be adequate carbohydrates to support the uh, amount of, you know, metabolic work or volume of work that we're doing recovering um you know thirdly obviously we need to have adequate protein for you know repairing muscle tissue um as well as supporting things like make sure your immune system has enough you have enough for enzymes all that kind of stuff all those things require protein uh protein is not just oh i just need to have enough to maintain muscle to to grow muscle tissue it's like it does a lot more than that in the body um And then obviously a minimum level of fats. Um, and that's more so going to be for just maintaining, you know, cell, cell membrane health, maintaining healthy hormone functions, all that kind of thing. So typically if we're going to try and push a lot of push, you know, calories up, we're going to 
predominantly aim for carbohydrates and then protein and fats uh, kind of as needed. Um, But like I said, with hypertrophy, it can be more, there's more metabolic types of training for hypertrophy, which are obviously going to require more carbohydrate dominant stuff. Or maybe you have more intensity slash, you know, neurological type of hypertrophy training, which maybe don't require as much carbohydrates um, to create that, you know, to get an energy surplus or as as many calories to get an energy surplus. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So how big in general for like, let's say we're focusing on a more metabolic style of hypertrophy training, how big of a surplus do you typically like to see clients in? Um, So typically we'll aim for... I mean, at, at the lower end, maybe 18 uh, calories per pound of lean body mass. Okay. Um, and then from there, it just goes up depending on the person and the volume and type of training. Like I've had people that grow great at, you know, 20. And then I've had guys that need like 24 to start seeing, you know, incremental increases in weight and performance and stuff. So that's where it gets really variable. Okay. Okay. So again, uh, I'm going to ask you a very specific question to something that varies a lot, but is there a typical rate of gain that you guys are aiming for? Like, Hey, we want to adjust until we see this, or like, what are the metrics you're looking at to determine, Hey, this hypertrophy phase is successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so a very, a very general metric is going to be something like, uh, maybe half a percent of total body weight per week, again, depending on how, how lean the person is. So that's generally going to be someone who's moderately lean um because obviously they're most of that should be from muscle tissue if we're hitting that um that calorie level appropriately too much faster than that is you're probably looking at a a higher ratio of muscle to fat or a a lower ratio of muscle to fat gain so they're going to be closer um where we're you know obviously we're trying to maximize muscle and minimize fat gain when we're in that surplus okay Okay, absolutely. And then you referred to how we probably want to be in a surplus when we're following a hypertrophy style of training. Is this something that you will still implement in a fat loss phase or is it primarily like we're at maintenance or in a surplus? Yeah, that's a great one. So most of the time, yeah, we're going to use this for hypertrophy, but there are times we'll certainly use this for fat loss clients. Um, The main difference there being obviously we're not necessarily going for adding a lot of muscle tissue we're more so trying to maybe deload from fat loss or maybe go for just a minor amount of muscle tissue gain before we get more aggressive into fat loss. Um, so the, you know, the biggest programming difference there is maybe the volume, uh, or the amount of failure we're going to is perhaps a little bit lower, um, depending on how we're working this into the program. Um, but yeah, to to answer your question, we would we can certainly use what, you know, quote unquote hypertrophy type training for a fat loss client. Okay. So is it safe to say that most clients that hop on board, this is kind of the style of training that they're most familiar with? Uh, yeah, generally, um, even if it's not necessarily, even if they're not necessarily familiar with the way that we program it, hypertrophy mm-hmm. training is kind of, you know, the most popular as far as like, Oh, you know, whatever, you know, six to 12 reps, you know, one to three minutes rest, right. all that kind of fun stuff. Um, which ironically, when they come to us after having done that for three months, it's like, all right, the first thing we're going to do is not that we're going to touch you into something else to deload from that. And then we'll get back to hypertrophy. Okay. Okay. And that, that was more or less what I was wondering. I'm guessing most people, when they start, it's not, Hey, the adaptation we're talking about within a hypertrophy phase, that's probably like not your quote unquote missing piece. Like we probably need to take you in another phase first. Is that pretty accurate? 
Sometimes, yeah. Or it could be that the way they were going about trying to achieve hypertrophy, maybe the programming wasn't as efficient as we would like it to be. Um, so maybe we back them out of that, or maybe they've been doing it for just too long and their, you know, their recoverability, their trainability for that stimulus is low. So it's like, all right, we need to take some time away for it, away from it so that when we come back, your body is ready to adapt and respond again. Okay. So what are some of the most common signs you see that, Hey, we probably do need to transition out of this hypertrophy phase and chase a different stimuli. Yeah. So it could be anything from like, Hey, my, you know, my performance improvements have plateaued for a certain amount of time. So it's like, I'm not able to add any more weight, not able to do more reps. I haven't made any improvements in my workout itself. Um, or it could be stuff like, Hey, you know, my sleep and digestion have really started like taking a nosedive, but I'm able to maintain my workouts. Uh, you know, my energy levels through the day are going off. So we look at biomarker stuff as well. Um, and that's across all training phase. We, we watch biomarkers for everything. Um, but those are usually things that when we see those start to tank, it's like, all right, you've probably been here long enough. Let's go somewhere else and try and get those recovery markers back up. Right. Cause like if our recovery isn't good, you're not going to make progress in anything. So that needs to be our first priority is maximizing your ability to recover from training. Okay. Okay. Which is such a different approach. And I think most people think of it as, okay, I did my training. Um, I hit my macros, like everything should work, right? When it is this whole ecosystem of things that impact your results. How much, how much stock do you guys take in like the, uh, the pump the client is getting like, Hey, I'm getting great pump versus I stopped getting pumps. Yeah. So that again, will depend on the type of training we're doing in some phases. It's more important than others. Uh, so for example, uh, when we get into like talking about neurological stuff, it's like, if you're doing, you know, three or four reps, Right. Probably not going to expect you to get a crazy pump. <laughs> if right. I have you doing uh, a drop set or like a heavy light superset, I would expect you to get a pump. Um, the other thing we'll watch is like how their pump actually changes throughout the program, right? So it's like if it starts out, oh, I'm getting great pumps. It's, it's maintaining it through the workout. And then one day it's like, oh, I lost my pump halfway through the workout or I'm having trouble even getting a pump now doing the same program I did last week. It's like, all right, that's a red flag. Something's off, probably time to, but either, either you just didn't eat yesterday or you're super dehydrated or something crazy like that. But if everything else is still in line, it's like, all right, you've probably been here long enough. You've probably hit your, you know, adaptation threshold where we're starting to get a point of diminishing returns. It's like, all right, we want to be efficient. Let's leave and then we'll come back later. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. And again, like I think this whole system makes so much sense where it is like, I know I've been there where it's okay, I just grind away at the same thing over and over and over. And like, you've kind of passed the point of diminishing returns, but it's, this is how you train for hypertrophy. Like, why yep. would I train like this? So I think it's so much better. It's almost like people that don't ever want to, or the easiest thing for me to relate it to is people that don't ever want to take a deload when it's like, no, this is going to potentiate so much future progress. And if you just keep trying to crush yourself and crush yourself, um, as far as the hypertrophy phase goes, I think that makes complete sense. Let's dig into their neurological phase. So first and foremost, can you again give us just a high-level overview of what this phase is and kind of what we're chasing here? Yeah, so uh, kind of as the, the name implies, the neurological phase is focused on improving your nervous system. Um, so there's a lot of little things that we could go into, but the two main adaptations we're looking for are what we call neurological coordination and neurological efficiency. 
So neurological coordination, just meaning your body's ability to appropriately recruit the required muscle tissue to perform a movement. Uh, and then a neurological efficiency is going to be your body's ability to recruit more of that muscle tissue to create more force against whatever load you're lifting. Um, so we'll often put people um, that are newer in more of a neurological coordination type of program. So people who are, you know, learning to squat, they're not yet able, maybe they're quote unquote strong enough to push a certain amount of load, but it's going to be going all over the place. Compensation distributed through different tissues. Execution looks terrible. Um, we're working on them being able to coordinate the movement so that it is appropriate and they're not going to hurt themselves. Okay. And then, you know, when we get into what, what's commonly referred to as like strength training or like, this is what power lifters are going for is like recruiting more of that muscle tissue at once, teaching the nervous system to recruit more muscle fibers in a single contraction to produce more force. Okay. So if I just want to get jacked, why does this phase matter? Because the more muscle tissue you can recruit in a single rep, the more stimulus you can create in a single rep and the more efficient you can be with your actual hypertrophy training. So basically we're getting more out of every rep because we can recruit exactly. more. Exactly. Yep. So then when we're training in this phase, are you typically, is this going to be mostly like, hey, we're training bigger compound movements, I'm guessing? Sometimes, but not exclusively. Um, okay. So there may be times where it's like, you know, there aren't really many great combinate or uh, compound movements for actual biceps. Cause even if you think about, Oh, people say do a, do a pull up for biceps. It's like, well, it, that's really more brachialis than it is biceps. They're working. But if we right. want to focus on getting really strong at like elbow flexion, maybe you do do an isolated bicep curl to get stronger for that muscle group. Um, you know, when you get into sports specific stuff, obviously like powerlifting, it's like, yes, you want to train those compound movements for the skill of it, but that doesn't mean there's no value in do in doing isolated movements to strengthen particular muscle groups, especially if one of them may be the weak link in the compound movement. Right. So it's like, you know, we're doing a deadlift and it's like, Oh, I'm seeing something. I think your glutes might not be up to par with everything else. Let's do a little bit of more isolated glute work, get those stronger. And then let's see if that's no longer a limiting factor in, you know, your deadlift or your squat or whatever. Okay. So typically what are the signs you look for? Hey, you probably need to enter a neurological phase. Yeah. I mean, so the basic ones are going to be, uh, just the, the coordination of certain movements. Um, so it can be a great, like a neurological coordination program can be really valuable for people, uh, learning execution because we're not doing a, t a whole bunch of work really close to failure all the time. They can actually kind of practice execution at lower intensity levels and then focus on maintaining that execution as the intensity increases. Um, so that's when we use a lot um, in like an ascending load type of program uh, that we, we use quite frequently. Um, that'll kind of be the main one. Uh, the other one will be kind of their difference in loads they can use for failure at certain rep ranges. Um, so if, for example, you have someone that like, they can't move up much in load to hit failure at a drastically lower rep range. So someone who, let's say they, you know, they're doing a press or something, hundred pounds at, you know, 12 reps, they hit failure and it's like, all right, now I'm going to add like 10%. So we're going to go 110 pounds. And now you fail at like eight reps. It's like, all right, well, that's a 
that's a pretty big drop in reps for a relatively small increase in load. So it's like, well, maybe we need to work on maybe neurological intensity, get better at recruiting more fibers in that case would be, you know, kind of a, a very, a very basic general uh, assessment of what we might look for. Okay. That makes complete sense. So then how do we support this best nutritionally? So this will actually be the one that you can get away or that doesn't require um, as many, you know, calories in total because you're not typically burning through a ton of fuel um, and you're not going to typically need as many calories. Um, You know, you're, you're generally, if you're going for specifically a nervous system adaptation, you're not typically going to be doing, you know, a whole bunch of stuff trying to create, uh, you know, mechanical damage or stuff that's going to require more recovery processes most of the recovery should just be your nervous system, which is like, take a rest day. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, you can get away with lower carbohydrates and things, uh, in a nerve, in a neurological program. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, So it sounds like more or less for most of these phases, you guys prefer, Hey, we're probably going to try to push carbs um, within this, these thresholds of protein and fat that we need to hit from there, we're probably going to try to push carbs as much as we can. And then within the neurological phase, it's not super important whether we're necessarily like what, where that ratio of carbs to fat is, as long as again, we're hitting like these minimum thresholds. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say we more try to put fats at the minimum and then play with carbs and protein a little bit more. Um, yeah. So generally we have our minimum thresholds for all three, and then we're typically going to push up protein and then probably carbohydrates a little bit more depending on what the actual training is. Okay. Okay. That makes complete sense. So I feel like we've covered the phases of training pretty well. Um, and it sounds like, like as a whole, it's not just, Hey, we choose a phase that seems to currently best suit our goal. And we just stick with that permanently, right? Like we're rotating in and out of these different phases needed. Correct. Yeah, Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So we're, we're always going to be, we're always looking when we're assessing someone is like, what's your limiting factor for whatever goal this is? Like, are you going for hypertrophy? We need to be able to push more volume or whatever. What's holding you back from being able to essentially recover is probably going to be the main thing. Um, so we'll pick up, maybe take a time out from hypertrophy, quote unquote, specific training do a metabolic or a neurological or whatever we think is going to bring up that limiting factor so that when we go back to that program that's more specific to their goal, they're adapt or they're uh, yeah, they're adapting or getting progress as quickly as possible. Okay, absolutely. And that's limiting factor, like for the listeners of the podcast, is something we talk about a lot in regards to the movements you're selecting. So for example, if we're doing like a real medium deadlift, but your grip keeps giving out because you refuse to use wrist straps. And like the limiting factor is your grip. Same exact same concept here. Like you're not actually getting the stimuli you want for your hamstrings or maybe glutes because your grip is a limiting factor, right? So we need to address that first and foremost. So I think that makes complete sense. And it really leads us very well into this concept of trainability, which is something you guys at N1 talk about a lot. Can you explain to us what trainability is? Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that's not talked about a lot, but when you think about it, it's a fairly simple concept. It just means the difference between the amount of work you need to create a stimulus for adaptation between that and your ability to recover from that volume of work. So, you know, let's say it's like, here's my maximum ability of volume of work I can recover from. 
And here's the level of work I need to do to get the adaptation I want, whether that's more, add more muscle gain, uh, or get better local conditioning or whatever. And then the difference between those two is what we call trainability. So we're always looking for trying to write a program that, you know, that stimulus is going to fall in between those two levels, if that makes sense. And if I'm correct in my understanding of this, the gap between that stimulus and like your maximum ability you can recover from, like this gap here is kind of like the amount of progress you have the potential to make, correct? In that program or that stimulus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's a, a, a trainability for all of the different, you know, phases and stimuli that we talk about. So when we say we're looking for what's trainable, it might be different what's most trainable today versus two months from now. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So then can you just, I think the best way to answer this is, can you kind of explain how this ties into this concept of trainability ties into all these different phases that you guys use? Yeah. So the main thing that it's going to dictate is our periodization. Um, so, you know, if we're going for, you know, a hyper, we have a hypertrophy program and as we're adapting that level of stimulus, we need to create an adaptation keeps going up and up and up. But our recovery is the same. Our maximum recovery is the same level we're going to get to a point where they meet and it's like, well, now in order to even get enough to create an adaptation, I can't recover from it. So that's when you, you know, you see those step there, those, uh, those graphs. So it's like, oh, you're doing this type of thing where it kind of trends downward in your recovery. And that's not what we want. So when we start to see that point where the, the progress begins to plateau, we're looking at, okay, what might be a weak link? What do we think is most trainable that you can still recover from? And then we will switch to that. So typically, and this actually is a great um, talking point for talking about deloads too. So when sometimes when we actually deload somebody from the program they're doing, it doesn't mean take a week off or do just do half the number of sets or just drop your rep or drop your loads and do the same everything. It might be a completely different stimulus where you can still like work hard but it's not stressing you in the same way the previous program was. So you're able to recover from it. So it's like, I can have someone do, you know, three, four five programs in a row and still bust their butt working hard every single one. But if I choose the right stimulus and write the program in a certain way, it's actually deloading them from the previous program and preparing them for the next program they're going to. So it's, you know, I'm basically killing two birds with one stone, if you will. Okay. So when you're choosing the next program, are you always looking for, hey, where's the biggest gap in trainability? Um, or how does that tie into this? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, yeah, um, that that will more so give you if you have multiple options of like programs you could go to. Mm-hmm. Choosing the one that has the biggest available trainability might be my deciding factor. Um, so it's like I could go to program. I'm in program one. I could do program A or program B. I think they're more, they have more room for adaptation and progression program A. So I'm going to use that going to B wouldn't be a bad choice. I just have more room for progress in program A. So when following this, then would, would we pretty consistently get into like, okay, it's been the longest since I've trained this. So this is thus like the adaptation I need to go back to, or is it kind of like, okay, we can hold on to these cardiovascular adaptations longer than maybe these other adaptations. So like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so generally, yeah, that's, that's kind of the direction it goes. Um, so some adaptation adaptations stick around longer, some come on faster. Um, so for example, some of the, uh, like systemic, 
uh, conditioning type effects, those can be achieved very, very quickly, like within one to two weeks, sometimes for some people, you don't need to spend a lot of time there. So it's like, all right, one to two weeks, boom, next program. And maybe they maintain that for, you know, another two programs before you come back uh, or even longer. Um, Whereas like you have nervous system stuff where, you know, if you get yourself to a certain level, maybe you don't need to come back to that same program. If your goal is fat loss or hypertrophy for a little bit longer, you know, depending on, are you still actually training heavy enough to maintain that adaptation? Uh, You know, obviously if you spend, you know, three months after doing a strength program and you're only training in 12 to 15 rep ranges, maybe your maximum strength start that one rep max starts to drop off a little bit because you're not taxing the nervous system in that same way. Um, so yeah, you, you will maintain some of those, most of those adaptations, at least to a point for a little while before they start to decline. Um, but some, you know, will last longer than others or can be reattained more quickly. Okay. Okay. So I know something I heard when I first really, like when I first started training a lot of people and I was really trying to educate myself more was like the most effective thing to do is the thing you haven't been doing, but that's not at all or not necessarily what you're saying here. It's basically what I wanted to clear up there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at it from a trainability perspective, I mean, technically whatever you're, you're probably going to have the greatest trainability in whatever you're not currently training because you're adapting to what you're currently training. Whereas other things are actually, you know, decreasing over time. So those, those trainability gaps change. Um, and you know, most effective is going to depend on what, what's your goal. What's your, what's your assessment for what's effective. Okay. Right. So it's like, if I, if, if I'm doing, my goal is hypertrophy, I'm doing a hypertrophy program. Well, maybe doing a systemic conditioning program isn't what's best, even though it's what I'm not doing and I've detrained a little bit from it. It's not necessarily going to add more as much muscle tissue as the program I'm currently doing. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those phrases that it's overly simplified to the point where it almost becomes false. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. And I think that clears it up. Basically we're not, you're not necessarily only looking at trainability, but also, okay, what is the client's goals and how well does this support that along with like, where are they most trainable currently? Correct. Exactly. Yep. Cool. So to make sure everyone listening grasps this fully, um, is there kind of a most common path a new client would follow moving through these phases? So let's say a woman who's been following this traditional, like eight to 15 reps, two to four minutes rest between sets, mostly straight sets for the last two to three years? Is there kind of like a most common path they would follow? Uh, so, I mean, first I'd want to know what's, what's her goal, long-term goal. Is it fat loss or muscle gain? She wants to get jacked. Okay. <laughs> so maybe the first thing I do, if she's been doing the exact same thing for that long is I'm going to try and probably get as far away from that as I can for a short period of time, because that's probably where she's most trainable because she hasn't done it. Right. Um, so in that case, I could either go to uh, like a local metabolic type of program. So we talk about like an incomplete rest method, um, which I think I may have shared the link with you. If not, uh, you can put that in the show notes for people, um, which is going to be uh, a local stress, not a ton of volume, great for nutrient partitioning. It'll improve local conditioning. Um, the other option would be going into like a, you know, more uh, straight strength type program right? So maybe we drop her rep ranges down. Maybe the rest periods stay the same, but we're actually going for strength improvements. And then we go back to more of like a hypertrophy program, uh, after that. Okay. Okay. That makes complete sense. 
This has all been super insightful. And I think that every phase we discovered or we talked about here and probably every subcategory of every phase could be like an entire podcast in itself. So I appreciate you very much being all of this. Um, I've learned a ton just listening to you talk on this, man. Before I let you go, will you let everyone know where they can find you and anything at all you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, first, uh, you know, on Instagram, we have uh, the n1.education and n1.training accounts. Uh, so those are going to be more of our fitness-based general education type of content. Uh, courses, we have those on the uh, N1 education site. It's just n1.education. And then the training site is going to, again, again, be all of our like uh, execution, exercise, video databases, free articles, videos, programs, uh, suggestions on periodization and all that kind of stuff, which uh, you can link uh, in the show notes if you like. I think I sent you those too. Uh, to give you kind of a, a general overview of where to start with your periodization or maybe where to go to next. Um, so a lot of free stuff, and that's just n1.training. Um, and then if you feel like following my shenanigans on Instagram, it's just uh, at CJ Moxley. Seen a lot of glute shots on your Instagram lately. Yeah, because the one time I didn't do it, I had some of my clients be like, where's the glute shots? It doesn't count. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, I guess I got if I'm going to do glute stuff, I have to at least post a glute photo now. <laughs> fair enough again man i appreciate you coming on i appreciate everything you guys put out i've learned so much from y'all um i know you shot me over a list of blogs that'll link up and of course i'll link up the programs as well for any coaches listening again i'm working through your program design course currently can't recommend everything you guys put out especially the actual courses enough um all that will be in the show notes and again thank you everyone for listening <laughs>